Chapter Fifteen, Part One of Principles of Geology. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Principles of Geology by Charles Lyell. Chapter Fifteen: Transportation of Solid Matter by Ice. Carrying power of river ice rocks annually conveyed into the st lawrence by its tributaries ground ice its origin and transporting power glaciers theory of their downward movement smoothed and grooved rocks the moraine unstratified icebergs covered with mud and stones limits of glaciers and icebergs their effects on the bottom when they run aground packing of coast ice boulders drifted by ice on the coast of labrador and blocks moved by ice in the baltic the power of running water to carry sand gravel and fragments of rock to considerable distances is greatly augmented in those regions where during some part of the year the frost is of sufficient intensity to convert the water either at the surface or bottom of rivers into ice this subject may be considered under three different heads first the effect of surface ice and ground ice in enabling streams to remove gravel and stones to a distance secondly the action of glaciers in the transport of boulders and in the polishing and scratching of rocks thirdly the floating off of glaciers charged with solid matter into the sea and the drifting of icebergs and coast ice river ice pebbles and small pieces of rock may be seen entangled in ice and floating annually down the tay in scotland as far as the mouth of that river similar observations might doubtless be made respecting almost all the larger rivers of england and scotland but there seems reason to suspect that the principal transfer from place to place of pebbles and stones adhering to ice goes on unseen by us under water for although the specific gravity of the compound mass may cause it to sink it may still be very buoyant and easily borne along by a feeble current the ice moreover melts very slowly at the bottom of running streams in winter as the water there is often nearly at the freezing point as will be seen from what will be said in the sequel of ground ice as we traverse europe in the latitudes of great britain we find the winters more severe and the rivers more regularly frozen over m la riverie relates that being at memel in the baltic in eighteen twenty one when the ice of the river neiman broke up he saw a mass of ice thirty feet long which had descended the stream and had been thrown ashore in the middle of it was a triangular piece of granite about a yard in diameter resembling in composition the red granite of finland when rivers in the northern hemisphere flow from south to north the ice first breaks up in the higher part of their course and the flooded waters bearing along large icy fragments often arrive at parts of the stream which are still firmly frozen over 
great inundations are thus frequently occasioned by the obstructions thrown in the way of the descending waters as in the case of the mackenzie in north america and the Irtish, obi yanisi lena and other rivers of siberia a partial stoppage of this kind lately occurred on january thirty first of eighteen forty in the vistula about a mile and a half above the city of danzig where the river choked up by packed ice was made to take a new course over its right bank so that it hollowed out in a few days a deep and broad channel many leagues in length through a tract of sand hills which were from forty to sixty feet high in canada where the winter's cold is intense in a latitude corresponding to that of central france several tributaries of the st lawrence begin to thaw in their upper course while they remain frozen over lower down and thus large slabs of ice are set free and thrown upon the unbreaking sheet of ice below then begins what is called the packing of the drifted fragments that is to say one slab is made to slide over another until a vast pile is built up and the whole thing being frozen together is urged onwards by the force of the dammed up waters and drift ice thus propelled it not only forces along boulders but breaks off from cliffs which border the rivers huge pieces of projecting rock by this means several buttresses of solid masonry which up to the year eighteen thirty six supported a wooden bridge on the st maurice which falls into the st lawrence near the town of the tree riviere latitude forty six degrees twenty minutes were thrown down and conveyed by the ice into the main river and instances have occurred at montreal of wharfs and stone buildings from thirty to fifty feet square having been removed in a similar manner we learn from captain bayfield that anchors laid down within high water mark to secure vessels hauled on shore for the winter must be cut out of the ice on the approach of spring or they would be carried away in eighteen thirty four the gulnares bower anchor weighing half a ton was transported some yards by the ice and so firmly was it fixed that the force of the moving ice broke a chain cable suited for a ten-gun brig and which had rowed the gulnare during the heaviest gales in the gulf had not this anchor been cut out of the ice it would have been earned into deep water and lost the scene represented in the annexed plate from a drawing by lieutenant bowen r n will enable the reader to comprehend the incessant changes which the transport of boulders produces annually on the low islands shores and bed of the st lawrence above quebec the fundamental rocks at richelieu rapid situated in latitude forty six degrees north are limestone and slate which are seen at low water to be covered with boulders of granite these boulders owe their spheroidal form chiefly to weathering or action of frost which causes the surface to exfoliate in concentric plates so that all the more prominent angles are removed at the point a is a cavity in the mud or sand of the beach now filled with water which was occupied during the preceding winter of eighteen thirty five by the huge erratic b a mass of granite seventy tons weight found in the spring following eighteen thirty six at a distance of several feet from its former position 
many small islands are seen on the river such as c and d which afford still more striking proofs of the carrying and propelling power of ice these islets are never under water yet every winter ice is thrown upon them in such abundance that it packs to the height of twenty and even thirty feet bringing with it a continual supply of large stones or boulders and carrying away others the greatest number being deposited according to lieutenant bowen on the edge of deep water on the island d on the left of the accompanying view a lighthouse is represented consisting of a square wooden building which having no other foundation than the boulders requires to be taken down every winter and rebuilt on the reopening of the river these effects of frost which are so striking on the st lawrence above quebec are by no means displayed on a smaller scale below that city where the gulf rises and falls with the tide on the contrary it is the estuary between the latitudes of forty seven and forty nine degrees that the greatest quantity of gravel and boulders of large dimensions are carried down annually towards the sea here the frost is so intense that a dense sheet of ice is formed at low water which on the rise of the tide is lifted up broken and thrown in heaps on the extensive shoals which border the estuary when the tide recedes this packed ice is exposed to a temperature sometimes thirty degrees below zero which freezes together all the loose pieces of ice as well as the granite and other boulders the whole of these are often swept away by a high tide or when the river is swollen by the melting of the snow in spring one huge block of granite fifteen feet long by ten feet both in width and height and estimated to contain fifteen hundred cubic feet was conveyed in this manner to some distance in the year eighteen thirty seven its previous position being well known as up to that time it had been used by captain bayfield as a mark for the surveying station ground ice when a current of cold air passes over the surface of a lake or stream it abstracts from it a quantity of heat and the specific gravity of the water being thereby increased the cooled portion sinks this circulation may continue until the whole body of fluid has been cooled down to the temperature of forty degrees fahrenheit after which if the cold increase the vertical movement ceases the water which is uppermost expands and floats over the heavier fluid below and when it has attained a temperature of thirty two degrees fahrenheit it sets into a sheet of ice it should seem therefore impossible according to this law of congelation that ice should ever form at the bottom of a river and yet such is the fact and many speculations have been hazard to account for so singular a phenomenon m arago is of opinion that the mechanical action of a running stream produces a circulation by which the entire body of water is mixed up together and cooled alike and the whole being thus reduced to the freezing point ice begins to form at the bottom for two reasons first because there is less motion there and secondly because the water is in contact with solid rock or pebbles which have a cold surface 
whatever explanation we adopt there is no doubt of the fact that in countries where the intensity and duration of cold is great rivers and torrents acquire an increase of carrying power by the formation of what is called ground ice even in the thames we learn from dr plot that pieces of this kind of ice having gravel frozen on their underside rise up from the bottom in winter and float on the surface in the siberian rivers whites describes large stones as having been brought up from the river's bed in the same manner and made to float glaciers in the temperate zone the snow lies for months in winter on the summit of every high mountain while in the arctic regions a long summer's day of half a year's duration is insufficient to melt the snow even on land just raised above the level of the sea it is therefore not surprising since the atmosphere becomes colder in proportion as we ascend in it that there should be heights even in tropical countries where the snow never melts the lowest limit to which the perpetual snow extends downwards from the tops of mountains at the equator is an elevation of not less than sixteen thousand feet above sea while in the swiss alps in latitude forty six degree north it reaches as low as eighty five hundred feet above the same level the loftier peaks of the alpine chain being from twelve to fifteen thousand feet high the frozen mass augmenting from year to year would add indefinitely to the altitude of alpine summits were it not relieved by its descent through the larger and deeper valleys to regions far below the general snow line to these it slowly finds its way in the form of rivers of ice called glaciers the consolidation of which is produced by pressure and by the congelation of water infiltered into the porous mass which is always undergoing partial liquefaction and receiving in summer occasional showers of rain on its surface in a day of hot sunshine or mild rain innumerable rills of pure and sparkling water run in icy channels along the surface of the glaciers which in the night shrink and come to nothing they are often precipitated in bold cascades into deep fissures in the ice and contribute together with springs to form torrents which flow in tunnels at the bottom of the glaciers for many a league and at length issue at their extremities from beneath beautiful caverns or arches the waters of these streams are always densely charged with the finest mud produced by the grinding of rock and sand under the weight of the moving mass the length of the swiss glaciers is sometimes twenty miles their width in the middle portion where they are broadest occasionally two or three miles their depth or thickness sometimes more than six hundred feet when they descend steep slopes and precipices or are forced through narrow gorges the ice is broken up and assumes the most fantastic and picturesque forms with lofty peaks and pinnacles projecting above the general level these snow-white masses are often relieved by a dark background of pines as in the valley of the chamonix and are not only surrounded with abundance of the wild rhododendron in full flower 
but encroach still lower into the region of cultivation and trespass on fields where the tobacco plant is flourishing by the side of the peasant's hut the cause of glacier motion has of late been a subject of careful investigation and much keen controversy although a question of physics rather than of geology it is too interesting to allow me to pass it by without some brief mention de saussure whose travels in the alps are full of original observations as well as sound and comprehensive general views conceived that the weight of the ice might be sufficient to urge it down the slope of the valley if the sliding motion were aided by the water flowing at the bottom for this gravitation theory chapentier followed by agassiz substituted the hypothesis of dilation the most solid ice is always permeable to water and penetrated by innumerable fissures and capillary tubes often extremely minute these tubes imbibe the aqueous fluid during the day which freezes it is said in the cold of the night and expands in the act of congelation the distension of the whole mass exerts an immense force tending to propel the glacier in the direction of least resistance in other words down the valley this theory was opposed by mr hopkins on mathematical and mechanical grounds in several able papers among other objections he pointed out that the friction of so enormous a body as a glacier on its bed is so great that the vertical direction would always be that of least resistance and if a considerable distension of the mass should take place by the action of freezing it would tend to increase its thickness rather than accelerate its downward progress he also contended and his arguments were illustrated by many ingenious experiments that a glacier can move along an extremely slight slope solely by the influence of gravitation owing to the constant dissolution of ice in contact with the rocky bottom and the number of separate fragments into which the glacier is divided by fissures so that freedom of motion is imparted to its several parts somewhat resembling that of an imperfect fluid to this view professor james forbes objected that gravitation would not supply an adequate cause for the sliding of solid ice down slopes having an inclination of no more than four or five degrees still less would it explain how the glacier advances where the channel expands and contracts the murdy glace in chamonix for example after being two thousand yards wide passes through a strait only nine hundred yards in width such a gorge it is contended would be choked up by the advance of any solid mass even if it be broken up into numerous fragments the same acute observer remarked that water in the fissures and pores of glaciers cannot and does not part with its latent heat so as to freeze every night to a great depth or far in the interior of the mass had the dilation theory been true the chief motion of the glacier would have occurred about sunset when the freezing of the water must be greatest and it had in fact been first assumed by those who favored that hypothesis that the mass moved faster at the sides where the melting of the ice was promoted by the sun's heat reflected from boundary precipices Agassiz appears to have been the first to commence in 1841, aided by a skillful engineer, M. Escher de la Linth, 
a series of exact measurements to ascertain the laws of glacier motion and he soon discovered contrary to his preconceived notions that the stream of ice is moved more slowly at the sides than at the centre and faster in the middle region of the glacier than at its extremity professor james forbes who had joined mr agassiz during his earlier investigations in the alps undertook himself an independent series of experiments which he followed up with great perseverance to determine the laws of glacier motion these he found to agree very closely with the laws governing the course of rivers their progress being greater in the centre than at the sides and more rapid at the surface than at the bottom this fact was verified by carefully fixing a great number of marks in the ice arranged in a straight line which gradually assumed a beautiful curve the middle part pointing down the glacier and showing a velocity there double or treble that of the lateral parts he ascertained that the rate of advance by night was nearly the same as by day and that even the hourly march of the icy stream could be detected although the progress might not amount to more than six or seven inches in twelve hours by the incessant though invisible advance of the marks placed on the ice time says mr forbes was marked out as by a shadow on a dial and the unequivocal evidence which i obtained that even while walking on a glacier we are day by day and hour by hour imperceptibly carried on by the resistless flow of the icy stream filled me with admiration in order to explain this remarkable regularity of motion and its obedience to laws so strictly analogous to those of fluids the same writer proposed the theory that the ice instead of being solid and compact is a viscous or plastic body capable of yielding to great pressure and the more so in proportion as its temperature is highest and as it approaches more nearly to the melting point he endeavors to show that this hypothesis will account for many complicated phenomena especially for a ribboned or veined structure which is everywhere observable in the ice and might be produced by lines of discontinuity arising from the different rates at which the various portions of the semi-rigid glacier advance and pass each other many examples are adduced to prove that a glacier can model itself to the form of the ground over which it is forced exactly as would happen if it possessed a certain docility and this power of yielding under intense pressure is shown not to be irreconcilable with the idea of the ice being sufficiently compact to break it into fragments when the strain upon its parts is excessive as where the glacier turns a sharp angle or descends upon a rapid or convex slope the increased velocity in summer is attributed partly to the greater plasticity of the ice when not exposed to intense cold and partly to the hydrostatic pressure of the water in the capillary tubes which imbibe more of this liquid in the hot season on the assumption of the ice being a rigid mass mr hopkins attributed the more rapid motions in the centre to the unequal rate at which the broad stripes of ice intervening between longitudinal fissures advance 
but besides that there are parts of the glacier where no such fissures exist such a mode of progression says mr forbes would cause the borders of large transverse rents or crevices to be jagged like a saw instead of being perfectly even and straight-edged an experiment recently made by mr christie secretary to the royal society appears to demonstrate that ice under great pressure possesses a sufficient degree of moulding and self-adapting power to allow it to be acted upon as if it were a pasty substance a hollow shell of iron an inch and a half thick the interior being ten inches in diameter was filled with water in the course of a severe winter and exposed to the frost with the fuse hole uppermost a portion of the water expanded in freezing so as to protrude a cylinder of ice from the fuse hole and this cylinder continued to grow inch by inch in proportion as the central nucleus of water froze as we cannot doubt that an outer shell of ice is first formed and then another within the continued rise of the column through the fuse hole must proceed from the squeezing of successive shells of ice concentrically formed through the narrow orifice and yet the protruded cylinder consisted of entire and not fragmentary ice End of chapter fifteen part one